0: Mel and her husband, David, run a grass-fed cattle trading business on their property, My Own, near Yeovil. With David a mobile mechanic travelling right across New South Wales, Mel has taken the lead on-farm and worked hard to build their cattle business while regenerating their soils, pastures and overall biodiversity on-farm. In this episode, Mel explains to us how she credits their business success to attending various training courses and implementing that knowledge into their business. As a big believer in building knowledge and continual planning, Mel talks to us about the tools she uses to help make timely decisions within her business, while sharing that she trades cattle knowing what her profit will be prior to making the initial purchase. You'll also hear just how much Mel lives and breathes her farm business from regular pasture assessment and feed budgeting to checking out fresh cow dung and actively managing the health of her cattle herd. It's all in a day's work for Mel. Central West Local Land Services Senior Natural Resource Officer Jasmine Wells caught up with Mel fresh out of the paddock for this chat at home on my own.
1: Thanks for taking the time to meet with me here today, Mel. I know how busy you are. We've been trying to organise this for five months between the two of us and between schedules and weather conditions and it's just been really hard. So thank you.
2: Thanks for having me. It's, it's a real privilege to be on the podcast. So, yeah, it's great.
1: And so tell me a little bit about what you and Dave do, like your setup here.
2: Yeah, so we run a cattle trading enterprise here in the Oval, which is central west New South Wales, midway between Orange and Dubbo. We also have a diesel, mobile diesel mechanic business. I do some other part time work for private ag, some different contracts and whatnot. So, yeah, it keeps me busy. Got two girls that have just gone off to uni. Yeah, so things are happening.
1: And how did you get into this? Your background's in nursing. So how did you get into agriculture? As a woman in ag, like you're inspiring to me, we're driving around in car one day, you're talking about how you're often one of very few women in the yards there buying cattle yourself. How did you get to this stage? What started it?
2: Yeah, so I suppose going back to school, I did ag at school and obviously had an interest, was off a small property near Tamworth. I did nursing as things just sort of do after school when you don't really know what you're to do. In saying that, I really did enjoy my nursing time. But we've uh, always had a small property and dabbled and lots of adjustment and things like that. And and I suppose going back 17 years ago, we had a, an opportunity to just at Burke and we purchased 200 cows and calves and we went up there and it wasn't a great experience to many reasons and most of them ours lack of knowledge in that in that country lack of infrastructure so when I when we came back and after that I was lucky enough to come across KLR marketing so I took myself off to a school in Orange with a two-year-old and um, have practiced and applied the principles for the last 17 years to our business and, and consequently that's why we're in a great position today due to that.
1: And so that knowledge that you gained from KLR help give you the confidence to you know go in and start buying your own and
2: yeah so one of the principles that we learn in KLR is about know and understand yourself and I was happy and excited to be able to be a person that could buy in the yards and I find it interesting and just having the knowledge and principles behind you to make a confident and sound decision allows us to be in that space and work the space with respect and integrity I just have lots of fun doing it
1: And
2: so what is KLR? So KLR Marketing is a um, a school uh, where you can learn how to profit from your livestock and it's about learning about the five principles and applying them to your business and and basically grass is king and we can't do anything without grass and, and I still apply that principle today. And when I'm trading and our whole business model works on cash flow, which the bank loves, and we really focus on landscape health and animal health. So with all that combined, that allows us to trade animals. We're 100% trading here, which I really enjoy. And it's mainly empty heifers into a, a blue tag or a red tag heifer, that's pregnancy status. And look, at seen us very well and always having the grass budgeted ahead of us, of that trade, allows us to finish and complete the trade and be profitable in doing so. So it's a really great tool.
1: So tell us about a grass budget. What do you do? So you're not just driving past at 120 and seeing what's in the paddock. You're actually how are you doing your grass budgets? And I know you can't teach that in a half an hour podcast, but just
2: (laughs) Yeah, so I'm actually a bit of a grass nerd and I've got heaps to learn and we don't always get it right, but we use grazing charts and we're still we're a bit old school and we still just use the paper version. And I know there's many, many online versions, but for us the paper version suits but i'm really quite passionate about just not going off that and we we're all aware of ineffective rainfall and seasonality changes and so we really focus on a complex perennial pasture here and for me a lot of that budgeting is done visually in the paddock every day i'm looking at the animals i'm looking at their dung i'm looking at how they're reacting to the grass what they're eating and we're always aiming to keep in excess of 95% ground cover at all times. And we were really fortunate in the drought and we destocked stocked because landscape health was our priority. So, yeah, I'm doing that on a daily, literally a daily occurrence. And, and I actually really enjoy it and the cattle are better for it too. And we're just slowly building the pastures on this place. And, yeah, we've really got a good system going now. So we're nearly there. So how
1: long
2: have you had this place? So we've been here 12 years and it was an extremely run-down property which didn't have water or wire anywhere and a very old, beautiful run-down Federation home which we are still restoring and we're definitely still restoring the paddocks and and just planting perennial pastures as we see fit. Since the drought has broken, I suppose we've sped that up a lot and we've actually, we were doing two years of oats just to clean up prior to that planting, but we've just seen now just using select spraying when we need to because we know that that pasture, it does not like competition and we've really found, you know, due to the cost of it, you want it to be working first go. So we're setting that up to be 100%, as best we can get 100% strike first up. And since the drought and these wet years, we've been able to um, really capitalise on that and we've nearly got the whole place done and we've just been able to increase that DC rating tenfold. It's just amazing what we've gone from and to. And so that's a result
1: of cleaning those pastures up and just changing the grazing system?
2: Definitely changing the grazing system and just adding a really broad and complex grass system like I often watch the animals and and we don't want a monoculture of any one grass so we try and do a six grass and one legume and we've also got some native pastures that do really well and we have our subtropicals come through those warrigo grass and whatnot but we've just found by enhancing those pastures we've just been able to really capitalize on the production and yeah, soil health is paramount. Although we have seen this year, and and in my view, the amount of rain that we've got, which had been amazing in in 22, I found our plants came quite lazy. Their root system didn't have to go far for moisture. So we really concentrated, especially in that growth phase in stage two, to really pulse those pastures. And they were being, you know, we were coming back sort of every 30 days really to pulse those roots to try and, and get them to go down a real structure. Um, so you are seen the animals
1: to put pressure on those plants rather than seasonality?
2: Yeah, definitely. For some reason, we didn't actually put any arrowleaf clover in this mix and white clover, but in spring it was um, abundant. I was quite concerned about bloat, so we bought some brahmins and thought we'd pop on there and we, you know, high-density phase and they really knocked it down and, and just the disturbance and what they gave to that pasture were just amazing. So we will definitely look at those. So not every time that we buy cattle is for one purpose. Like they were bought that purpose as well to um, create disturbance and just to create some growth and root structure for those plants and they were able to do that in a high-density mix. So. so you're using them as a tool? Yeah. just a- financial part of the business? Yeah it's a two for one I mean if you can use them as a tool we really rate our landscape health and so we will use cattle to do that and sometimes you know the cattle are used more as a tool sometimes than the financial gain but what you get out at the end will far outweigh the financial gain in your landscapes. And
1: so you do a bit of work for RCS as well what's your role with them involved?
2: Yes, yeah, so I was really fortunate. RCS gave me a call and asked me if I'd like to run their Soils and Landscapes project, which began last year. It's a two year project through the Future Drought Fund, so federally funded. And it's northern New South Wales and southern Queensland, and it covers seven LGAs. And so it just involves the applicants having one on one advisor training, mentoring. They get tools, uh, they get a my grazing subscription and they get to do uh, several courses within that. So all about building drought resilience in their business and being able to make decisions that are timely and hopefully before emotion comes into decision-making. We we know that if you can make a decision that's based on fact and looking at your tools, your grass budgeting and whatnot, it'll be a far better decision if it's made under emotion. So that's what we're really aiming to do on that. So that's a two-year project and... uh, about halfway through so that's really enjoyable yeah great and you get to practice what you preach so yeah it's really it's great important. yeah yeah I'd like to think that I'm able to instill some knowledge on those people as well so um it's been really good so far
1: and so when you first bought the place there was some tidying up to do with the pastures and you really moved away from using chemical
2: you did some holistic management is that right yeah we did we use chemical very sparingly but I think there's still a place for it at mm-hmm. times um, especially for a pasture establishment and as far as fertilizers and things go we use those sparingly obviously for start-up pastures but we're really inclined and we've just last year put um, a whole lot of chook manure on which mm-hmm. is readily available to us we're able to get it close by and yeah the results have been exceptional so we do use those synthetic fertilizers and sprays sparingly but I'd there's definitely yeah a bit of a space for them while there's that startup we're investing a lot of money into these pastures so we want to make sure that yeah we get them up and and running and then we can manage them accordingly through animal use mm-hmm. and whatnot
1: those guys whether it's for um because you know they have holistic beliefs or whether it's a financial decision or a time decision that are trying to move away from chemical or fertilizer inputs and not do away with it completely, but like what's that first step like time's always an issue so putting chemical on a paddock is a really good quick way of cleaning a pasture up so what were the steps that you took from start to finish you mentioned before you put oats in is that one of the main tools you use to clean up those pastures
2: yeah so we just used a rotation of oats prior to putting in perennial pasture one thing we found with that was that Grazing oats or grazing crops are great but they're quite short-lived and and I'm quite aware that when we change animals' feed base, it takes some time for their gut to change and, and to be in unison with that. So what we were finding as we're quite a small place that they'd go on the oats for sort of eight weeks and then they were back to a normal pasture, a native pasture, and it was taking some time for their gut to readjust. So we could really see that. So when the drought broke, we thought, right, we're just going to go ahead and and forget the oats and go straight in with pasture and and look, it was a great decision. Obviously, moisture was there for us and that was on our side. But I think it just shows that that was our plan. We jumped on it straight away and within two years we got over half the place done in that time, which if we're using our older model of using the oats first off, we would have been further down the track so I just think we're quite a bit ahead now but it takes some managing and yeah you've got to get to know your pastures know how to feed budget and know what phase they're in it's really important Um, it took quite a bit of management to keep those grasses in phase two last year had a lot of moisture and they were growing rapidly but you can do it and it's just better for the plants we're pulse grazing those roots and getting some root systems and structures
1: and so for the listener, let's talk
2: phases of plants. So we've done quite a few courses, lots of education. We're still learning and look, we're certainly not always great at it, and we, but we certainly don't make the same mistake again or we try not to. You've got phase one, phase two and phase three. Phase one, it's obviously in that early growing stage and we don't want to be putting sheep or cattle or livestock in and, and nipping that off before we have any root structure. They take it at that phase one and we can really do some damage to the roots. So we want to keep it in phase two and it's when it's going up to the top of the curve, um, it's when it's highly nutritious, it's full of sugar and we're getting some root structure. When we see it go into phase three, it starts to lignify off and, and that can happen at stage. That will just happen automatically, seasonality. but You need to be aware of that because that will change your grazing management. When we see plants go into phase three or I've let them purposely go into phase three to seed due to the lignification there, we'll add a supplement and brew a urea-based supplement to help them break that down in their room and to utilise that better. So it's not a bad thing and it will go to that anyway anyway but it's being aware of that and matching your class of stock to the class of grass you have. Very important. We wouldn't want to be having uh, weaner type cattle on that lignified grass because they're just not going to do. And being in a trading enterprise, we're able to change the type of stock we buy and the type of class. So something like that, a grown animal, a cow, is much better conversion for that feed. So being trading allows us to do that really readily so we're able to keep on top of the grass year round and so you're just
1: running one mob of stock here or will it depend on what tools you need
2: yeah it actually depends on what tool and what adjustment properties we've been open up to we're always trying to find adjustment and the closer the better as i like to keep an eye on the stock for health reasons and just for uh, stock handling reasons so depending on where we are and what pasture is available to us, at the moment I have a, a gistment block that is purely legume-based. It's 100% lucent. So I had to make a decision on what type of animal I was going to go there and a boss indicus type cow was a lot better suited to that and allowed us to utilise that pasture. But mainly we are joining an empty heifer. So, yeah, it is one mob. The odd steer comes in or out but... I don't know if it's a bias, but I definitely prefer heifers. (laughs)
1: It might be. And so you're using all the knowledge you can. You're one of the most well-networked people I know. So you're going to yards with a price in mind. Is that right? So you've made those decisions before you even get there.
2: Yeah, that's correct. And with the KLR principles and thinking, we have tools at our hand that we can make that price, already knowing what our profit is going to be locked in prior to purchasing those animals. I use Auctions Plus and I use the sale yards. I really enjoy what I do. Yes, it's a business and we need to make money 100%, but I also really enjoy it and I like to be able to take cattle up a level. So if that's in pregnancy status or if that is in weight gain, it's a really satisfying thing to do. And already having that price already in my head for the different classes that I would be able to uh, buy on the day, the confidence that that gives you, enables you to be confident in the yards and do your job. We're there for, a, it's a job to me. I pay myself to go to the yards and to work. It's a working day. Yeah, and it's a really enjoyable day too, so. So
1: you've got your price in mind. You've obviously got a goal in mind. So you're weighing stock
2: in and out or what's the plan that when they come in, we have obviously biosecurity, I'm quite big on that. So they go to a quarantine paddock and they just get one drench when they come in, which is always sidectin, so it's dung beetle friendly because we love our dung beetles. And they're just monitored really. They have a little bit of low stress stamp, stock handling done on them for a couple of days or depends what they're like. And basically, I'm just ready, getting them ready and their gut's ready for the paddock. So we know when they've been in the yards, especially that they've probably been off feed for 48 hours and... We know that that can wipe all those great gut bacteria out. So we want to build that up. So it takes a bit of time to do that again and you won't see much gain for some time. And When I purchase animals, I already know before I purchase them where their end goal is. I've already got that in mind. I know exactly, what, especially if it's um, taking it to a preg-tested animal. I have a very good preg tester and the day that he comes, they're literally listed on Auctions Plus or privately, literally the next day. So quite quick on decision making. It's quite a tight turnaround. About a 16-week trade is our average and you can do that easily. We know there's cash flow coming in regularly. The bank knows there's cash flow coming in regularly because it's obviously can be seen. That's really played in our um, favour recently as we negotiated with a broker a new interest rate. Obviously that's on everyone's minds at the moment so we were looking for the best deal that we could possibly get and the broker actually said to me, she had rung me afterwards and said, look, the bank have rung and they actually want to take your stock loan, who I previously had with the agent at quite a high rate, as they all are. And I said, oh, we didn't even ask them. And she had said, no, it was your PL and your figures that had showed that you have a really healthy bank account. And it's purely down to the trading and the cash flow that that injects. So it's a really good business model for us and it's forever growing.
1: And so what info did you take to
2: the bank? Well, it was just amazing. We used a broker and they were extremely efficient. I supplied them with all the information that was required. And I think a couple of years ago, we actually changed accountants and I saw a need for me to understand our financials a whole lot more than I was. And I was pretty average at them, to tell you the truth. So we got some business coaching as well. And, and they offered some one-on-one training in zero, which I snapped up and, I'm now all over zero. So, uh, and look, it's been for the better. Uh, the broker had asked for uh, management reports and all the data, and I was able to pull that out of the system within 10 minutes, and which I could, yeah, I would never have been able to do before. So once again educating ourselves gives us power opportunity and confidence i guess that's
1: probably something that i know i don't utilize enough most people probably don't is that we use these programs like zero but we're not using them to their full potential we're just putting in the figures that we have to and then moving on to the next job
2: yeah and and it totally that's what i was doing and i didn't really know while i was doing things in there i was reconciling items and i was creating invoices just as a bit of a robot really so the training I got, there was uh, money well, well spent and I'm um, highly recommended if you're lacking in that area to know your numbers and actually know like literally what they mean, not just look at them and know how they affect your business has been really empowering for us and, and has actually seen our business yeah, go up a, up a step in the last two years. So what changes did you make as a
1: result of that? I guess you could see where your money was going out.
2: More and... Yeah, and I was able to capitalise on that differently and we were able to structure it and make our own chart of accounts and, and get some really refined reporting in there. And as we have uh, the mechanic business and then the trading oper- enterprise, I was able to dissect them all literally down to the last cent and make improvements on both of them, whereas before it was a bit of a hole and I didn't really understand the figures. So now we, we can actually say what business is, is doing what and where we need to improve or make some adjustments so
1: mm-hmm. so they're both run completely separately are
2: they yeah basically they are yeah yep yeah. one for me and one for my husband basically yeah, <laughs> yeah so and yeah, so Dave problem. passionate about the cattle as well um yes he's allergic to cattle so as soon as he oh. helps me in the yards yeah. that lasts about <laughs> 10 minutes but we've sort of set the place up and just increasing that our business, we've been able to, you know, make the yards a lot safer. They're all undercover now. We have really good infrastructure to what we used to have. We have laneways. I can do it all myself. It's no problem at all. And, yeah, Dave will certainly help if he's here and able to, but we've sort of got a set up and, and the animals that we buy, I'm quite particular, and anything that's unruly or I don't want, goes straight back on the truck so we just won't have it here. So it's pretty good.
1: Yeah. So... I was going to ask you about soil testing. Do you have any goals in mind as far as your soil health?
2: Like, yeah. So we did. We just participated last year with Little River Landcare, and they had a soils project, and they did many properties in the district, and we put our hand up and did that, and it was it was quite interesting. The soil we hadn't had some testing done here for for about five years, just on the basis that. We saw the pastures so healthy and we were having good production. We didn't actually see the need to have that tested. But we did have the test done last year and they all came back reasonably good. So we're pretty happy with what we're doing. Uh, that newer application is just proving yeah, we can just see the change in the grass mm-hmm. and be an organic product, you know. It's, um yeah. yeah, we feel that that's the best for this country. So, Did you run a trial of any sorts with that? You just put it on because you knew it? yeah no we did actually we haven't done every, every paddock, and it's quite obvious and it and Chukmiyua seems to have a bit of a uh, long lasting effect, so it gets better as it goes on. Mm-hmm. so you don't see much of a change really in that first year it's the next year it seems to hold on a bit better and and it's just creating that soil structure once it's able to break down and get and get in the soil but it's just a visual thing, but we do try and do every second paddock so we're able to compare them next to each other mm-hmm. so. Nothing scientific, it's just all visual. But everything I do is visual. I'm very big on being in the paddock, watching the cattle, looking at the grass, putting a probe in, doing that sort of stuff.
1: I think it has to be practical too. I think people like myself working for organisations like LLS, you know, we can get caught up in the science. I think it's really important sometimes just to, like, get out and have a look what grass is there or even just stop and have a look and see what the stock are eating. I have horses as well and I found... Because you spend so much more time on one animal, Mm. you're a lot more focused on what actually is beneficial to them because you're sitting there watching them, whereas often when
2: there's a whole mob of cattle or sheep, you don't do that as much. Yeah, and it's fascinating to watch cattle. You know, you will put them into a pasture that isn't a monoculture, say it's a grazing crop or something like that, and you will often see them around the edge of the paddock trying to get the native stuff that's around the edge. So. That, to me, they're telling us it's black and white. You know, they want variety. They want biodiversity. You know, a lot of the weeds that come up, and I'm not a fan of thistles, granted, but, you know, some of the weeds that come up, they will often eat them. You watch them, I'll take a bite of the grass and a bite of legumes. So it's um, everything in moderation, I think, applies to everything. And we really live by the KISS principle here. It's keep it simple, stupid. I'm certainly not data-based, analytical figure-based, clearly by my book work and whatnot prior but just really visual watching the animals they'll tell you what they want to eat and you'll see by their coat their health and their behavior so it's pretty obvious to me yeah
1: yeah i agree with that and you're quite passionate about the health of them so
2: yeah yeah definitely and uh one thing i do do i feed salt year round, they have access to coarse salt all the time. And I actually learned that many years ago from a nutritionist at a dairy that said a lot of the ailments at dairies could be solved by salt. Mm -hmm. You know, they can't overdose, they excrete it through their urine and it just keeps the cells working really well within their system. And I find in the spring when the feed has most moisture in it is when they'll hit it the most. Obviously they're trying to regulate their system and hydrate their system because they're losing a lot of fluid in that dung you often see, you know, when it's flying out the back of them. So they will regulate on the salt. Yeah, so they have that free range all the time. That is all they have though.
1: Yeah, so you're not doing mag, lime,
2: No, no, we will feed uh, brew in summertime for that lignified grass to make use of that. That's just ad-lib mainly though in the summer but salt year-round and they'll either be on it or they won't be but I just always make sure. It's really cost-effective supplement to be giving. You can readily buy it anywhere and for here it's, you know, about 15 cents a week per head. It's nothing for the benefits that it gives.
1: And then what's the plan for the future? So with so many people I talk to, you know, it's all about expansion and just constantly chasing that goal. I've never had a conversation with you where you're not happy with where you're at. Like you're always, mm. um, you know, you're happy with what day's up to and the kids doing their thing. You know, you're not constantly striving for that thing in front. Like you're just always so happy and busy with what you're doing.
2: Yeah. What? Where are you going from here? Well, that's exactly right, Judge. We don't actually have um, to expand our adjustment, which is great, and we will do if the opportunity allows, but we're not going to take up just any property and I'm quite big on managing my own animals on, on that land um, and for the landscape health for the owner as well. So if they come up readily, uh, yes, we'll snap them up, but we're we're certainly not out to own copious amounts of land or anything like that. We're really happy we are where we are. We have two great businesses we're happy in life. We like to travel. We're doing a lot of that. Our girls are happily and, and well-educated and, and they're on their way to their new life. So yeah, things are going really well. We're just spotting along and and um going with the flow but we really enjoy it
1: yeah i love it no it's great it's been so inspirational talking to you so thank you so much for your time today i wish to say the listeners i wish i had started recording when i first pulled <laughs> up here today but um you've out some good stuff but yeah thanks so much for your time now
2: yeah thanks Jazz. it's been excellent and we we probably did chat far too long prior to the interview than yeah. we should have <laughs> anyway it's, it's all good been,
1: it's, yeah good time well spent i think
2: yeah cheers
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.